welcome to episode two of Everybody's Stories. My name is H.W. Honeycutt and I'm the host of this podcast. Today, I'm talking to a poet and a writer named John Yohe. That's Y-O-H-E. John Yohe has published Poems and Rattle, The Dunes Review, The Huron River Review, and many other places. Uh, in 2010, he published a book with... Uh, and Street Press called What Nothing Reveals. And you can check out what he's up to, writing reviews, writing novels, writing poems at johnyohe.com, J-O-H-N-Y-O-H-E.com. And in the interview today, I get John to take me through where he started in Michigan as a youngster scribbling out stories and uh, how he ended up getting an MFA from the new school in Manhattan and a whole lot more stuff so it should be a fun interview just one bit of housekeeping publicity sure it's an advertisement Uh, it's for me HW Honeycutt I'm working on a short story right now called The Black Lab and it's about a young man uh in Georgia, who's leaving a nursing home, visiting a relative, and uh, he finds a uh, three-legged black lab in the parking lot, and uh, he chases it down through some woods and uh, ends up in, the, in a Dairy Queen parking lot and finally gets, gets a hold of the thing and looks, it's, it looks at its collar, and uh, the dog's name is Hitler, and there's a phone number. That's all I'm going to say, but uh, if you want to check out that story for it's just a dollar, uh, you can go to hwhoneycut.blogspot.com, and if you become a subscriber of my short story of the month club there at hwhoneycut.blogspot.com, I will be your personal beta reader. You can send me anything you're working on. If you're a writer, if you're working on essays, poems, a novel, you can send it to my email. And as long as you're uh, a subscriber of my Story of the Month Club, I got time for you. You're important to me. You're one of the good folks keeping Honeycutt out of harm's way, if you know what I mean. So yeah, you'll get a story each month. You'll get a beta reader. And it's for a buck a month. Check it out hwhoneycut.blogspot.com without further ado my interview with the poet and writer John Yohe Thank you so much for coming on Everybody's Stories. Sure, my pleasure. So you're uh, a writer and you've published uh, quite a bit based on just what I've read on your like website and, and blog. Uh, you can get to it through johnyohe.com. That's uh, J-O-H-N-Y-O-H-E.com. Um, so what got you like interested in in writing um we're talking way back like as a kid yeah yeah like the first time you thought like i want to have a poem or a story in a book and i like reading those and i i want to you know contribute (laughs) contribute to some of that i got some stories when did you when did you i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure it um involved wanting to be published i'm not even sure i mean maybe it didn't vaguely in the background but actually surprisingly the earliest memory i i have of like wanting to or attempting to write something was um i i read or i used to read all the the hardy boy mystery books oh yeah and i can't yeah and i can't remember how old i must have been surely like eight or nine or ten mm-hmm. maybe but but i remember reading the hardy boys and that was the first time um, 
but I turned around and I, and I tried, I started with my own mystery. Like I had this idea for this mystery. <laughs> and, uh, so I, you know, I remember telling my mom, like, I want to write a Hardy Boys book or something. And, um, so I, I wrote, I think it was a total of like two pages handwritten, uh, at the start. And then I was really like, Oh yeah, this, this takes a lot of effort to write a whole novel. <laughs> um, so there, there was that, like I got the two pages and I don't even know what happened to them. And then I kind of like gave up and then there was that and or, uh, maybe around the, that age or maybe even earlier, but I think maybe at the same age, I was also reading comic books and I used to, um, draw, like I had these characters that I would draw horribly because I was a, not a good artist, but, um, I had these little superheroes, like I just basically took a color from the crayons that I had and I'd be, have like red man and orange man and green man. And I'd make it just like these little fight scenes, but they were they were sort of stories in the sense of like they were happened over a series of time and there were different panels and stuff. Um, and I don't know if that was there was no words involved in those, but it was this sense of like trying to enact a fight scene like I'd seen in the comic books. And so I don't know. Both of those examples to me are examples of how I think all writers emulate what they read like they read something good that somehow you know they, they respond to and they want to not imitate it exactly but to emulate the feel of something so like with the hardy boys i wanted to emulate you know a mystery i i, I wasn't trying to copy exactly but i was like okay i yeah, i think i have this idea for like how it would develop blah 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 so um i mean i wasn't conscious of that like uh aware of the process so much back then but but i do remember having this response of like, okay, I read something cool, I want to do that. Yeah. What sort of like encouragement or uh, like criticism or just how did people around you react to that and like how did it play into your development? Um. I think, well, my mom was always supportive, of course, uh, for back then. And then I remember, like, I had, um, well, it also just tied in with reading. Like, when I was in first grade, I guess, um, I remember somehow they started to filter us kids out into different different levels of readers, which is kind of horrible, but I don't know how they chose the criteria. But yeah. Uh, anyways, I, I remember being, like, in the advanced kids there's like three of us and we were like we were scorching through these kids books um mm-hmm. and and so getting that kind of encouragement on the reading level and then some later teachers uh i think they do like some they'd have us do creative projects like write a story and or like draw something too but i remember with there's a couple of different teachers that would have us write like story stories and i think i did well at those um, my my theory being that because I was reading a lot at home, and so I had some um, writing writing skills more advanced than some of the other students, um, just because I was getting uh, encouragement from my mom at home about reading, and she would read to us. So um, so so there was a little bit of encouragement along the way in the like you know first grade through fifth grade on up yeah. into and then even into like junior high there were some more kind of more creative classes we had at our at our school anyway where there was stories i remember there was this one class i think it was seventh grade uh one of it's called creative communications and different ways of like communicating one of which was written and like every week on friday this teacher would have us write a story a fiction story in class and that was something like i look forward to it like every week and i don't think everybody else in the class <laughs> necessarily felt the same way as they look back but yeah you know, that was like yeah this is the, this is the most fun thing and whereas like you know i hated giving speeches or something whereas other people seem to really enjoy giving speeches in some class so so i guess yeah. uh, even by then by then i was you know definitely responding to writing as a way to uh i don't know either to communicate or just also that it was interesting and somehow those two are always implying I think yeah what's what's really interesting to me just like hearing this is how much reading was tied into uh yeah, tied into yeah. writing 
And, uh, you know, just thinking about my own sort of journey where I didn't learn to read until quite later. And I was a student and read, you know, three books maybe by the time I graduated and didn't really engage in any sort of critical thinking. So... Um, or, or writing, right? right? Is it what? It, is it fair to say that you didn't write at all at that point either? Um, like I, I started. I, I had a column in the newspaper, um, in the school oh, really? newspaper. Cool. Yeah, and um, so you're writing that, but you hadn't actually read books. Yeah, I, I hadn't really read much except um, this huh. one book by Mitch Album, a sports book about the Fab Five basketball team from Michigan. Uh, and oh, I read okay. that, and I read that book probably six times, like from seventh grade to senior year. But um, and I feel like my writing sort of started with sports stuff, but not to um, yeah, just a sidebar there. But yeah, that's interesting how much reading, you know, for you was was a big piece of the puzzle. And I I imagine with you know most all of the writing uh, with most all of the writers. Um, reading is going to be at the center of the of the puzzle. I I mean I think so. I I would take mm-hmm. that as a, a given. But although it's interesting that hearing your story, but I mean there was also just the idea of being in a house where there was lots of books. So like mm-hmm. like it was just normal, and I know that's not normal for a lot of um, children growing up. But but like when my sister and I grew up, you know, my mom and dad and my dad both had tons of books and. And other examples like, you know, like my mom was going to grad school, I think, you know, up in that area. And so she was writing uh, papers. She was writing, you uh-huh. know, I remember hearing her type and stuff. So, like, there's this act of, like, oh, yeah, she was typing and writing. And so it was just there. Like, I wasn't at the time, but it was, I think it, I can't help but think that it was helped make the idea of writing uh, normal or acceptable. Yeah, so you can hear this this process going on um yeah and then you you know continued uh up and through through high school um writing and then uh when did you sort of turn to to publication or like when did that happen for you first off um not until college yeah. So I was a yeah. So I was a musician, and I was doing some music stuff uh, first. So I didn't go to college until I was like twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, but by then, I was always oh, that's another thing. I was I was writing, starting to write song lyrics. Um, they were awful, but but still, it was writing, you know. And yeah. so, um, but by the time I got to college, and then, oh, I took creative writing classes at the community college where I was at Jackson Community College. And, I mean, that was, like, the first class where when I looked through the – I decided to really go to college. I looked through the catalog, and I was like, that was the first class I saw. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, even at the same time, I was taking a composition class. But um, but so then we started to talk, I think, in this one class in particular, this instructor, uh, Michael Joyce, who was a writer. Uh, he had written some fiction books, and he was at JCC. He was down to bigger and better things on the East Coast, but – um, we did talk about publication in there, and he was big on, like, online stuff. This is just right when the online stuff was starting to go on, and mm. there was some projects, like some collab- collaborative publishing things online, which I didn't participate in, but it was there. And then, I don't know, and then when I went to, um, but I was writing poems, and that's when I started to write um, stories again. And but I think it wasn't until like Michigan State, so like my third and fourth year of college, um, when you start to get funneled in as I became an English major, and then you start to, then then you start to delve more into other like poets and short stories, and and then I became aware of literary magazines, and you know you start to look in the back of like the. I don't know, Best American Fiction or something, the anthology, and then you see, like, oh, yeah, these are originally published in in, uh, in, in, uh, literary magazines and um, and or other ways. And you start to hear about literary agents and novelists talking about their agents. And you're like, oh, okay, so writers need agents to get novels published. That's the stuff you kind of start to learn. And and then I 
think even on an underground level, you start to make friends or acquaintances, and somebody's doing like some underground uh, literary magazine. Um, I remember, I can't remember what it was. That was my first publication, actually. Um, it was just this guy that was in fellow English major, and I think maybe there's two of them, uh, he and his girlfriend, perhaps, or something. But um, they, you know, they published one of my poems. Um, in a, and they put it together in like a little sort of chapbooky kind of book thing. Um, and it was like, you know, I don't know <laughs> how many people actually read it, 20 people maybe, but it was something. And, and, uh, and then the, I, no, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say like at the start of this, this literary journal that I really like, it, you might be able to call it an underground literary journal, um, at the beginning yeah, of it, uh, yeah, it's a type of zine. Um, it's called The Minus Times, and uh, Patrick DeWitt, who's now, you know, one of the, like, biggest writers in Canada, or, you know, he's he's a, an incredible rising star, he wrote the foreword to it, and he mentioned how, you know, when he started, he, he didn't know what he was doing, and he was sending to places like The New Yorker and The Paris Review, and just like... <laughs> Yeah. Didn't have a clue and did that, you know, was writing places like for 10 years. And then finally uh, he got published and uh, he said, do you know what happens when you get your first story or poem published? He's like, I'll tell you, nothing happens. Uh, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, maybe, maybe you, uh, you go to your friends and, or your coworkers and you tell them, you know, my stories in this magazine and what they'll do is they'll ask you how much you got paid for it. And then when you say nothing, <laughs> yes. and then and then when you say nothing, they give you this, like, oh, look, like, they pity you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, if that speaks to what happened with you or were you pretty excited? And I mean, like, it was like, it was a moment of pleasure of like, oh, they actually thought it was good enough. Like, it is. It, it is this thing that, like, here's another person. I wasn't self-published. It was, like, another person that I didn't even really know uh, decided that it was worthy enough to put in this small little booklet. Like, I, you know, yeah. who knows? Maybe they printed everything that everybody sent to them. But, I, you know, there was at least some editor person somewhere making the decision, like, yes, this is good enough to go in here. So uh, uh -huh. there was that, that, and that's the continual pleasure of, you know, even today with a lot of the publications I get. Uh, but we could talk about that later. But um, but yeah, there was like, and so the yeah, that was another thing I became aware of in 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 college was like there's the zine level, then there's like these literary magazines, and then there's like magazines like the New Yorker, these different levels. Mm -hmm. um, and and so like well, I was getting into um, oh Charles Bukowski, who I think we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah. I got into him, and then I through him I started to learn about all the zines and everything, and so. And also, at the same time, I started to work. I was assistant editor on the Cedar uh, River Review is that right? uh, for Michigan State, the literary journal for Michigan State, which okay. still exists and still around. Cedar River? God, a long time ago. But I was assistant editor for a couple issues of that. And so I got a behind-the-scenes level. Like, it's never big, super big literary journal, but, you know, it had some history. Allen Ginsberg had been published in it. And, mm. um, so I got to do the behind-the-scenes thing, which is basically be a reader. And at the time, I had to, like, who barely had the Internet, so it, if something was accepted, I had to, like, write, copy it down onto my disk and then give it to my editor. Um, but, but we, you know, I got the whole deal of, like, there's this thing called the flush pile where everybody that sends stuff in, their stuff gets in this pile. So as a reader, I never even saw their letters of introduction or something. My, the editor, Jackie Justice, who's still in Michigan, um, she would she would just see the letter and then just put everything in a flush pile. And then a bunch of us would take turns just reading and voting on these what to include. And so uh -huh. I got to see, like, a, how the literary journal works. And, but there was, like, the zines where it was, like, basically every zine just, almost just like one person doing their own thing. And, and yet they're still editors. They're making decisions, and, and they have an aesthetic and about what they want. And so, you know, you can see the difference between, and there's you know, the zine, zine poetry, at least in the Charles Bukowski world and all those places, um, a little bit more edgy, more, I don't know, I would say street, but that sounds kind of really slangy. But, um, 
And then, like, the literary journals, you know, the cliche is, like, they're more, like, melodramatic and going for wisdom and I don't know. But uh, so, anyway, in college is where I really got aware of the different levels of where one could publish and get into publishing. Um, so, you know, from zines to literary journals to New Yorker to writing fiction, you write a novel, you just go directly to a, a literary agent, maybe, or independent presses. Um, which has become kind of popped up more, it seems like, in the last few decades. Yeah. So I think college is where I really started to think, like, okay, I want to get published. So I got, like, the one poem published in that little little zine from whatever. The first big, uh, what I call big publication that I had was a was post-college. Um, it was it's a poem called Going Greyhounds. And it was in um, the journal, literary journal Pearl out of um, like L.A. Uh, okay. And I just knew about it, Pearl, because it was, it was kind of known in the zine world. It wasn't associated with the university, but it was a little bit more prestigious than zines. And like Kowski is published in there and then, you know, some other like more uh, underground writers. And this is like post-college. I wrote Going Greyhounds. I think in my first big trip out west, and I'm not sure how long I sat on it or worked on it or something, but um, I sent it to Pearl, and that, and they took it, um, and that was, I mean, it was like a surprise. I was like, oh my god, so, you know, yeah. and, and again, there's this, this larger sense of like, oh, this is another I absolutely don't even know from way across the country, and then um, and she took it, and um, no money. <laughs> I got yeah. two free copies of the book or something like that. Um, but I was in a I was in a journal that I was like really wanted like it meant a lot because it was in that circle it was in like the Bukowski underground writers circle it was like I felt like I'd reached a plateau there or something. And yeah, it was, it was after that. Okay, like a, a publication that you would have wanted to read even if you weren't in there. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, That's exciting. So yeah, and then and then it was like then there was years before I got published in anything else again. Uh, mm-hmm. ma- mainly, I think, because I stopped writing for sort of, not really, but kind of seriously. Like, I graduated from college, and I moved out west and was um, working for the uh, Forest Service as a firefighter. And stuff. I'm just traveling on the off-seasons and stuff. I think I was, I was scribbling in notebooks, but I um, had not attempted to publish anything. Like, I wasn't copying things down formally or something for I, my memories would take a couple of years but I think I was writing more than I think I mean I have all these wow. journals back then um, yeah I didn't start yeah I didn't start to think about publication I think that was the last one until I got into my MFA program later on um, okay yeah so so Michigan Oregon's Hardy Boys up through high school a couple of years <laughs> off yeah. then you're at Mi- Michigan State and then you can go out west and you're fighting fire wildfires and then yeah. yeah. And then how do you end up in Manhattan at the new school? Yeah. Um I when I graduated from Michigan State with an English degree, I knew absolutely that I did not want to go back to get a master's degree in literature because I'd known I'd learned enough about the whole um, theory stuff like that was yeah. it was not about writing fiction it was about studying theory and I was like no way that's death to me um, and I didn't know about MFAs actually I'd heard about I think I'd heard about the MFA in Iowa like that one but I didn't it didn't even quite register what it was and uh, but I after graduating and you know just traveling and working in for the Forest Service um, I did have this desire to kind of I didn't feel like I was a good writer. I wanted to get better, and I felt like I wanted to felt like I could study more or something somehow. Um, and it was, I think it was my mom was like, "Well, why don't you go?" She's just offhandedly, she's like, "Oh, you should go to an MFA program." And I was like, "Oh, what's an MFA program?" And then I started to look in like, I'm not sure, maybe like a Poets and Writers magazine or something, and mm-hmm. I started to see ads. And I think, and then around that time, somewhere, I read about. Um, two of my idols, writing idols, Alan Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, had taken classes at the New School in New York, 
And then I saw an ad for the new school MFA program. I'm like, oh, boom, that's it. That's where I'm going. That that was the only <laughs> information I really had, which was not true. You know, it was <laughs> totally off. Um, <laughs> but it was went, off. Or I off it was off in terms well, of like it was true that in they terms had, of what the it is true that they had gone there, but this was back in the fifties when the yeah. school had kind of been founded. Um, so I was going like 20 years, 30 years later, um, and I did not know, I did not investigate the the reputation of the school or, you know, what the deal was, no, nor did I even check out other schools, even in New York or anywhere else. Like I didn't check out NYU or Columbia uh-huh. or anything. Um, I, I tend to do these things where I'm like, oh, everything's coming together in these little things. It seems like it must be this. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> blindly send something out. Um so, but it was a desire to like still, not to be in school, but to be in school for a reason to to study. I wanted to study writing more or something. And and, and or I felt like my writing was going away as the longer I was out of college, um, just because I was, you know, I say that, but I was actually writing some stuff which we could talk about. But because mm-hmm. um, I, I think that around then, actually, after a couple of seasons, I did try and write a novel. Yeah. Um, but, and did uh, you just not like? Did you not recognize it as like? Uh, well, yeah. Like I, what uh, was it to you? The novel or anything? Like yeah, uh, just like the novel. It, it it almost seems like you were doing this uh, invisible right writing that was invisible to yourself even. It was, and it was like, you know, like Ira Glass, from, he's got this speech somewhere that says, like, you know, we have, if you're a reader, you have great taste, and sometimes your taste is better than your talent, at the mm. time, something like that, paraphrasing. And I think that was going on. I was like, I'd had one summer where I, as a firefighter, where it was just this perfect adventure. It was a love story. I fell in love with this, this woman, and it was firefighting, and it just seemed like, it seemed like it was, the perfect thing so I tried to do my Jack Kerouac imitation or emulation and and so after the season I I, I wrote wrote about that summer uh-huh. uh, about being about being a lot firefighting enough and I thought it was great and I was trying it in this trying to imitate Kerouac and Hubert Selby Jr. or something just trying to be weird at the writing and um, I wrote it and I thought it was done you know like straight through almost because <clears throat> I wanted to be like Kerouac, and I, and I thought it was great, you know, because I'd done it, and, mm-hmm. and doing it was great, you know. Anyways, and I, uh, I don't know, and then I tried, and then I immediately tried to, or sent out some query letters to literary agents, and I, I think I write a better uh, query letter than I do a novel, but I think to that point. Mm. Um, so I got I got some nibbles, and then I, or some enthusiastic nibbles from some literary agents, because I told it as like a Kerouac, you know, a firefighting thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, yeah, please send it. So I sent it, and then like I mean the rejections were like so quick and so harsh. It was like oh wow, <laughs> like like they were really like they they liked the idea of what it was, but the execution of it was not so good. And then that made me go back and think like okay, then then I started to self doubt and like so I I ended up this I still have this novel, but I've like rewrote it like four times now. But wow. but at the time like I tried to rewrite it, but it, I just there was a sense of like oh I'm not a good enough writer yet. Like, I didn't trust myself, nor did I uh, really think I had the skills. Like, I was, I realized I was not the next Kerouac. I was not that good. And so there was something about, and in fact, um, when I applied, ended up applying for MFA program, I tr- applied for a dual, uh, dual degree. I actually thought I was going to get into fiction, and I just was like, oh, I'll do fiction and poetry at the same time. Um, but they ended up accepting me for poetry and not for fiction. They, um, so that kind of changed directions. But, but anyway, which we can talk about. But, but at the time, there was I, I felt like a real sense of like I could be better. I want to be better. Um, I think I need you know either to be in a community or at least to get some just to learn about. I, learn about or just get time to do more writing. I don't know, to have a concentrated time. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe so, also community too, to be to be with writers 
because um, I was like among like firefighter people, um, and even my friends in the off season were they're creative people, but none of them were writers. They're more like actors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. And so it was kind of a also a whim. I applied for the new school um, for social research MFA program, and then I kind of forgot about it and went off and had another adventure. And then uh, then they accepted me at once. They accepted me. And I turned them down um, because I was in the middle of some adventure or something. Um, and then later, I was back in I was in Flagstaff for the summer. That adventure cut cut short, and I ended up just in Flagstaff, sitting around doing nothing. I was like, wait a minute, maybe I could just I'm not doing anything here. I might as well just go to this MFA program. So I called the director back up, and he's like, well, we just had somebody cancel because they're sick. We'll, we'll put you back in. So I got in at the last minute. <laughs> oh wow. So once yeah. you got so once you got there, and what lured you there is sort of the 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 legend of uh, of the the beat writers that were there. Yeah, it was. And, I, I have to and, confess, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and that attracted you. And then, what did you find when you got there? Ha. Um, and this would have been like nineteen ninety two. Nope, nope, this was uh, 98. Okay, 98. 98 to 2000 or something. Okay. Um, when, I, when I got there, so the new school, well, the whole writing world at the time um, was less Allen Ginsberg, although he was still alive at the time. Um, um, but it, there was a lot of what's called language poetry, which is still around. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know, kind of to summarize what language poetry was all about was it was kind of like questioning the power structure inherent in like language. So they were trying to break apart language. So like when they say language, they have like all the letters of the word are broken apart by these little asterisks. So the idea was like to be breaking apart language. Um, so to me, which I hadn't had much experience with, you know, despite having gone to college, um, it, it all just seemed like kind of, uh, didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and or it was just not what I still don't think really is what I like in poetry. I, I recognize it now that it's a thing, but um, but it's still it's still popular. But anyway, so this, the, the department was kind of dominated by like they had a one of their star poets was a language um, poet, and some of the other, and then I don't know, and it kind of depends when you get accepted into a program like who. Who, which of the instructors were the ones reading the applications because they their tastes will reflect in that year's class. And I saw that happen with the year following mine and the year ahead of mine. Both of who, like the people in the year ahead and the people behind me, I had much more in common with than the people in my year. Okay. Um, so so um, there's a lot of language poets who did not like my, you know, kind of narrative stuff. Like, at the time, I was into Bukowski, and I discovered Gary Snyder by then, so I had some kind of outdoors-based poems. And in the middle of New York, that, like, did not go over well. So, <laughs> you know, and or, or there's a bunch of factors, you know. I'm not saying they're great either. But but there's – I don't I think this is probably true of any MFA program in any kind of creative writing class at the graduate level. Like, you usually find, like – to maybe three other people in the class that you kind of you acknowledge as peers uh-huh. and then the rest are kind of like off on their own doing their own thing and they're finding their own little groups too and um, yeah. I mean ideal, ideally you learn how to help the other everybody like you you can kind of get a bigger picture like beyond what you like to kind of hopefully give some feedback to other people which I tried to do I really did try to do um, but I don't think it was necessarily mutual sometimes but um so unfortunately, I had some good teachers who were not language poets. It was just um, like David Trinidad, who teaches now at Columbia in Chicago, and then um, David Lehman, who was he's the editor for the Best American Poetry series, um, which I didn't know about at the time, but so I lucked into him having him as an instructor for a couple of classes, um, and, and learned a lot from him. Um, but again, that's my own it's my own ignorance about like despite having gone to Michigan State and graduated with an English degree, like I did not know a lot of things like that there was the best American poetry anthology and 
um, lots of lots of things. So, um, uh, but they 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 were helpful. Like, um, I, you know, if, if you go to classes and you participate, you know, willingly, like sincerely, and then you do the work, uh, you know, I think teachers really appreciate that. And I don't know, I was just it was another world too. Like um, that program was set up for night classes so that most of the people in class. Uh, had day jobs, a lot of them like in the publishing biz and stuff, um, whereas I kind of showed up and I didn't have a job and I was a bike messenger at first. Uh, later I became a tutor, but at, at first I was like a bike messenger, so I was like this, I think they thought I was a scary dude coming into their class, like with long hair, and, you know. Um, uh, you know, I, I kind of New Yorkified myself a little bit after a while, but um, but the damage had been done perhaps, but so yeah. Anyways, I was. <laughs> what What does but, that mean? What does that mean to New Yorkify? Oh, I I started wearing all black, and uh, oh, I, I didn't wear I didn't wear jeans. You can't wear jeans in New York anymore, or anywhere any at any time. Stop wearing jeans. Stop wearing shorts. Stop uh -huh. wearing my Converse high tops and switched to like Doc Martens or something and tried to be a little bit more you know, what would be called hipsterish or something, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, despite all that, New York was amazing. Like, I, I was always had been scared of New York, and I kind of considered myself a spy going in. But um, but I lived there. I got student housing. And then, I mean, New York's just amazing. It's full of energy. Um, and there was writing events going on at least twice a week anywhere. So like, oh yeah, school, our, yeah. I mean, like our program always had a reader or two uh, every week, which I would go to. And then um, David Lehman, one of my professors, he was he ran a program over at this bar called the KGB Bar, and they do something every Monday night, I think. They have poetry readings there, and then then there would be like conferences or something. You know, like Sharon Old would do a reading for the Stella Adler Academy or something, and. You just, you know, you could hear about stuff, and, and then there would be some open mics, and I went, oh, and I went down to, like, the New Yorican, which was, like, the, the hip-happening place for um, spoken word poetry, or, you know, so I was, I was learning from those people, too, and, you know, just, just all kinds of stuff, and then, you know, bookstores, and, and then in grad school, if you got, hopefully, everybody has a good program where you just, they throw tons of books at you, and you read a lot, so. Yeah. I mean, Way beyond anything I'd read in um, my undergraduate classes, who's now getting into more obscure poets and or going back in history of poetry too. So. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, not only the role of reading and the, the and the formulation of a a writer's career, but also a place, and just thinking about being in New York yeah. where. You know, you can swing a stick and probably hit a rider uh, yeah. <laughs> around here. Um, and, uh, like, and I don't know if, if, I mean, I imagine, you know, with the academic scene and the, there's still a lot of traditional publishing there, but, like, in New York, but the the exploding rents are, you know, I've yeah, been driving crazy. a lot of creative people out. Um like, what do you just sort of reflecting back on the places that that you've been, um, whether it's coming out of Michigan or uh, you know being in New York or sort of now you're in Portland, Oregon, where speaking of Patrick Dewitt, I don't know if he still lives there, but I knew he lived there for a while. Like, um, how just in your career, how have you noticed like where you're at in, in terms of locality sort of creeping into influence your writing one way or another has has a place yeah, ever I mean, like yeah yeah I, I associate place like with different writers too like when I was an undergraduate or like at Michigan State um like I I read Gary Snyder but I did not get him I just didn't get him I didn't uh -huh. dislike him but I just didn't get him and it wasn't until I moved out to the American West myself where he, where he's from that I then then I went back to like Turtle Island his big big um book 
then I started to be like, he'd been a firefighter, he'd been a fire lookout. Um, and I started to backpack and walk, you know, just see the, the, the West, Arizona, Colorado, California. And then I, then it somehow, then I went back to him. It was like, Oh, I get it. Like, um, he's, he's so, he's writing so much a part of the landscape that I think I needed to see the landscape in order to really appreciate him. And so oh, and I think wow. I've had that experience. Yeah, and, I, and I've had that experience like with other writers, like um, uh, Jim Harrison, who he writes poetry, but also is kind of known for novels and novellas. Um, I got into him, that, and he's from Michigan, um, mm-hmm. Michigan. And I didn't get into it first, but uh, I think because I chose the wrong books. But once I started to discover the ones that were really about Michigan, I was like, oh, I get it. Um, and then he moved out west and started to talk about, especially in his poetry, like from, from uh, Arizona and Montana stuff. And so it, it, I think it, knowing these different landscapes helps me appreciate it. Although, you know, you could argue that it's like I like, say, Allen Ginsberg or Jack Kerouac before I'd seen uh, the world, you know, America, all of it. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know if those are about landscape. I mean, they are, but they're also about what's going on inside a car too, you know? And, um, uh-huh. like it's a lot of, it depends, but when I got to New York, it definitely, the landscape changes you in the sense of like, people don't write about, like it's like things of nature do not appear in New York poems so much. Um, not that everybody needs to be like Eric Snyder, but like, it, it tends to be more like, um, I don't know, energetic, that you write about the things that are around you. So, like, you go back to, like, Frank O'Hara's poems, um, he, when he was in the 50s, like, he's writing in the 50s, uh, you know, it's, his, it's filled with things of New York, taxis and uh, cokes and signs and, signs and um, uh, I don't know, there's just an energy and it's, it's something, you know, there's, like, the New York School of Poets and Painters who were kind of known to have a sense of humor. They were the first people to kind of bring a sense of humor into real, like, high literary stuff. And and you could see that for sure in New York going on. Like, David Lehman and David Trinidad, two of my instructors was all about that. And even the language folks kind of would disassemble language for humorous results sometimes. Um, okay. Uh, but, and, you know, I have to confess I haven't spent a lot of time in the South, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why I don't really quite connect with like Faulkner or somebody. You know, it does help to have kind of the landscape in your brain already, or to come to it to appreciate a writer. I think. Yeah. But not, but not vital. I don't think either. Right on. Yeah. I um. I I like I like the uh, the humorous aspect mixed into the high. High literature. Um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, something I feel like is important for um, to sort of bring in some. I don't know what I'm trying know. to say. I'm, yeah, I'm like the teacher. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but sometimes you know, there's a sense that seems, seems like writers can take themselves too seriously. But you know, yeah. some people like that. Some people some, that's that's what some people expect from writing is like this, like a seriousness and a wisdom and, and to be humorous or to be like the, the court jester is uh-huh. kind of almost, almost offensive to some people. So. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's actually, no, you, you saved it and brought it back around. So before, um, before I, I get you off the line here, you, in addition to like writing your own, works uh your own poems if your own poems and your own works of fiction um you yeah. do a lot of reviews i see um just in terms of either reviewing graphic novels or um novels themselves do you do you review films i do i i did, haven't in a while what i was for a while for about a year or something i was reviewing for uh this website called psycho drive-in and there's there's okay. links to it on my on my website. On the there's like a tab for reviews and the movie reviews are off to the left next to the book reviews. I haven't done any more movie reviews lately just because basically I was up in a 
or Lookout Tower all summer. I just haven't seen that many movies in a while, but uh, right on. But it was fun. Yeah, but the review. Yeah, I could. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna um, say that I saw the Bukowski reviews, and uh, I was gonna ask you what um, what you thought of those books and. The, the oh, can I talk about reviews, doing reviews in general? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so uh, another, this is actually goes back to my MFA program. Um, there, the director Robert Polito, I didn't even had his class with him, but I remember he he had said that he wanted um, his students to be able to write about poetry or fiction because he felt uh, that the, if we were going to be represented well, that the best Critics are writers themselves. Like he, he really, and he felt it was important that other that writers should all be doing reviews as well in order to support each other, and not leave it up to just people that purely are critics. And so I, that that actually stuck with me. Um, it took a while for me to try anything because I didn't quite know how to do it. And I and I think at the first I felt like the review had to be more, I don't know, formal or academic. And the only reviews I'd really read were like. From the New York Review of Books or something, and I was like, oh, uh-huh. there's no way I'm gonna like, I'm gonna write that well. But um, I think it was like, but but I, then I read some more informal um, reviews, both like like Charles Bukowski wrote some nonfiction stuff, and they're really hilarious reviews. And then I think it was also like David Foster Wallace kind of broke things open for me in that way too. Like he he showed that you could be really super informal and funny in a review, um, but also be super smart. And that you didn't have to write academically, you could throw slang in there, and in fact, throwing the slang in kind of made it more accessible. Um, that you know, you could show your energy, your enthusiasm for the piece, um, and and that that's actually more compelling than like a stage steady, really serious review or something. Um, anyway, but like, so the Robert Polito thing stayed with me for a while, um, and then I can't remember. Eventually, I wanted. I came to a decision like, okay, I'd like to have this goal of like writing a like a maybe a review a month or something, just as a, an additional thing. And so I think I wrote my first reviews are like books of poetry, which maybe didn't. They're listed, I think, in my on my website and publications. But it wasn't it wasn't until the 2000s or something that I think I actually dared to write a review, and I can't remember where I was when I did it. But the first one was like a short one. Like there was this magazine called Rattle. Oh, you know Rattle. It's a yeah. poetry magazine in L.A. And they used to do short book reviews in the back of the journal. That, that stopped, but they do them online now. But at the time, they were like 300-page reviews or 500-page reviews. It was really short. So I was like, okay, I think I could do this or try it. So I tried it with a uh, – I can't remember whose book I first did. Um, but I – I just kind of wrote 500 words on this this book of poetry that just come out, and and they took it, and so um and then so so I was like oh okay, <laughs> I guess I'm a booker here now. Yeah. Uh, and that and that that still didn't quite get me like writing them all the time. I think I wrote here and there every once in a while. I would, I would write one. I think I got a couple in rattle, and then I uh I think I might have written a couple, but I published online, like, with this website called Clockwise Cat, which, you know, she, she took one, and that was more informal yet, and then I was like, oh, okay, this, you can be a formal and still take it. It kind of depends on how big of a website, you know, you want. Uh, and I tried, and then I, oh, then I wrote one, a, a review for uh, Bonnie Jo Campbell's um, American Salvage, a book of short stories. It's, it's, she's a Michigan writer, and I was like, this book rocks, and I really want to support it, and I want to write a review about it. And so I, I wrote the review, and I sent it to this website that was kind of out of Michigan called um, The Collagist, to their editor, the reviews editor. And he actually sent it back, but he wanted it, but he wanted me to make changes. And that was the first time. And we went back and forth a couple times with changes, and he... I mean, he really changed the tone of the review. He wanted something more serious, like a New Yorker kind of thing. And uh-huh. that was okay to do it because he, he said he wanted it. And I was like, okay, I'll make the changes. But by the end, I kind of felt like it was more like his style than my style. But still, it was okay. Um, and 
but that that turned out to be good because when I later tried to do more more book reviews, like he 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 was full up, but he recommended this other website called Entropy, which is um, which I've been um, writing for now for like a year or more than a year now. Yeah, um, which is where I think you were coming in. But um, oh, I wanted to say other one other thing about reviews is uh-huh. I also. I don't know what time, what time we got, but I also had, uh, for some reason, when I was back in Michigan, when I knew you way back in Michigan uh, teaching and, and stuff, uh, I started to delve back into comic books like I'd liked up through high school. And I was starting to learn about, like, there's, you know, there's comic books for adults, or, you know, there's a whole world of, like, other literature. And um, for some reason, I'd always liked this character, um, Red Sonia, She's kind of paired up with Conan the Barbarian, but she's always just a comical character. I, I felt never was taken seriously, and I ended up doing some research on her in college, and I was like, something is building up. I wanted to write about her somehow. So eventually, I finally did when I got to Portland. I wrote this kind of, it wasn't a review, it was more like an essay about her. And, um, but I sent it to this, kind of randomly to this uh, website for about comic books called Comics Bulletin. Um, I tried some others and they never heard back, but uh, the guy from Comics Bulletin, my editor, um, Jason, um, he he sent it back and he wanted he wanted to do it. It was longer than what they did, and he had some suggestions for changes, which were totally right on. But anyway, he accepted it and published it, and I was like, oh, boom! Like this is another good, like another new genre or type of writing for me. Like kind of it was an essay, but it was kind of a review, and I I really liked it. It was more like David Foster Wallace-ish kind of, which I'm okay. kind of proud of. And then, but anyway, the one thing about that was after Jason published that essay, he turned around and asked me, so do you want to write some reviews about so-and-so and so-and-so? And And I was like, at that point, I could have said no, and it's like, that doesn't really interest me or something, but I said yes. And every time he, and so I wrote, like, he gave me, like, this Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic book, which I was like, I don't don't really care, but I'll read it, and I'll write a review about it. And and so my point being that I said yes. Like, when, Uh when somebody actually, when he offered to have some, give me an assignment, like, to write. And like, was like, yes, yes. And so he gave me this weird graphic novel I never would have written or read. And I was like, yes, okay, I'll write it. And then I gave my honest review, and, and, and he liked it. And we developed this relationship where um, eventually he was sending me um, bigger, more important stuff. And we kind of figured out my taste. Like, I like um, ecological stuff or political stuff in, in my graphic novels. But I'd still get some, like, you know, superhero stuff, too. Um, yeah, and, you know, you just anytime he'd offer, I'd say yes. Um, and so I think that was just a good lesson for any writer. Like, if anybody ever asks you to write something, just say yes. You know, like even if you don't think you're gonna like it. But I really ended up like, I think, learning a lot from just being a reviewer and, and thinking about how I think. About yeah, reading. It's amazing. I'm I'm big on like abolishing the myth of the like the the lone J.D. Salinger and his uh, <laughs> orange, orange boiler suit like in a shed somewhere, yeah. just like henpecking out the masterpieces all by himself. And that's all he does is just write all day. And it's like just, yeah. you know, hearing hearing your trajectory coming through as a writer, like it's, it's remarkable. Um, just the interaction and the dialogue with with other writers in terms of, you know, reading at the origins and now how reviews uh, have sort of taken such a, a big part in your career and it's like you're you're sort of talking back uh, to the works, you know, through the reviews and then the readers join yeah. in. And and, uh, and it's oh, interesting yeah. because it's like you actually, you know, for part of the year working as a wildfire lookout, you actually are like – going out in seclusion and like coming up with <laughs> with ideas but even yeah. even doing that you know you're still like very connected to to other people who are yeah i mean it, it helps we have the internet nowadays and they don't do yeah. it like they used to do with Kerouac and snyder like you get it they take you down once a week at least usually to so you know i could still get on and get an email and check my facebook and all that once a week so, oh yeah um but yeah like jason it's fully in Jason Sachs, who's editor for Comics Bulletin, but he would he'd send me like these care packages of like four graphic novels over the summer, and I'd 
you know, and I could just take my time and I'd read them and then I'd write a review and um, just, you know, rise them a little bit at the time. And then when the week came down, I'd come down to the civilization and send off a review to him. And, and he took care of the artwork and everything and published it. So, um, right on. Yeah, so it was still possible. But I, I, I totally agree with you that their writing uh, very much is about having a community uh, of people. You, like, I don't, even Ballinger at the early stages had people around him. Later on, he became more eccentric, I think. But, yeah. Um, at the beginning, beginning stages, for sure, he was like out and about meeting people and meeting other writers. And, yeah. Well, uh, I think it's yeah. and I kind of kicked myself. I don't regret it, but I kind of kicked myself. Like I, I had friends in college, writer friends, and I just didn't cultivate them or I didn't keep them. Like I took off to the west, and I, and I think it's when you read about writers and you start to delve in their backgrounds and stuff, you really start to discover how much they were part of a certain group, and other people in that group uh, were helping each other, reading each other's stuff, and giving recommendations and helping each other out and. Um, I think it is vital to have like a group of friends. So that's what I would say to your your listeners is like cultivate your your community, your sangha of writers. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have uh, ten more minutes to um, to just sort? Of, I'm just curious what you. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you laid out. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, so you reviewed on writing, um, and. Uh, the one other oh, sort of the Charles the Kelsey one, yeah. Uh, for whom yeah. no, the bell tolls for you. Um, those are just a couple of the reviews I did last um, summer. So once I started to kind of write regularly for Entropy, again I built up a relationship with my editor there, Alex. He's really cool. He's a great editor because he he, he likes my informal style, but he will definitely go through and catch me on my little spelling errors or you know small grammatical stuff. We'll even have back and forth about wording sometimes, which I, but he's totally smart and, and really, you know, sympathetic. Um, but once I really like being able to do something regular, like a regular review every once in a while. So I just kind of keep my eyes and ears open for like new interesting books that come out because you want to kind of review newer stuff. So I don't know, it's just the whole thing. You just review newer books. Um, the Bukowski ones, I mean, Bukowski's been like one of my heroes for a long time. And so, and usually I, I review like more independent books, but, um, and Bukowski is kind of published through either um, Black Sparrow or Echo and or um, uh, the one in Texas is so... City Lights? City Lights, yes. So um, anyway, those, those two books came out over the summer when I was uh, working over in Idaho, and I mean they just appeared. And I'm like, I wanted to, for a couple of reasons, review his books because well the first one was on writing, so I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta read this because this is one of my literary heroes. Yeah, uh, I want to see how he I want to see how he thinks about writing, which I kind of already knew, but I also want to think bounce that off of what I think of what is writing. Um, and I also wanted to promote him too, because I think, I mean, he's underground and he's fairly well known. Like a lot of people know him. Not a lot of people have read him. And so sometimes they have this, uh, there's this reputation that he has among mm-hmm. certain circles. And so I, I, that was also an intention is kind of like to push back against that too, to show him, you know, show other people that he was a, a thinker and not just like this, you know, alcohol slob. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, it was just, it was a pleasure just to read that book. I would have read it anyways. And then uh, it was also a pleasure to write about it, to think about it, and um, then get it out there in the world just to be, for me to be able to get other people to read his stuff, cause I, just because I think he's a great writer. Um, so yeah. Oh, I also want to say something about the reviews, maybe. But, uh, yeah. Uh, idea stole, uh, stole from Griffin Keeler, who I know you don't like, but um, he, he <laughs> at one point said that well, he used to write, I don't know if he does, but he used to write this art, uh, this. Yeah, like an article, like once a week for salon.com or in other places too. But in one of them, he said like for those articles, he would only spend a total of like two hours on the article. He would like write the first initial draft and then he'd, you know, revise it up until about two hours. And just because he was busy with all those other projects. And I was yeah. like, that's a good, that's a good formula for like a review, I think. Like, so that's what I kind of do. It's more informal now, but like I, I try and spend like, I'll read the book and think about it and it's kind of gurgitating. 
in my head anyway. Then when I start to write, I'll do like an initial draft, which maybe might take an hour, and then I'll put it away for a day, and then I'll come back and maybe either do serious revision and or tweak it, you know, either for a half hour or another hour or something. But I also, at a certain point, I, I tell myself, but, oh, no, you know, it's good enough just to get out there. Like, whereas I might obsess more over, like, a poem or a short story or something. And, yeah. and somehow that frees me up. It frees me up somehow, too, to be more of myself somehow in the in the reviews, or a different, different facet of myself, I guess. So. Yeah, it's a little more... Um... Yeah, first take and and just you know get in your yeah, which I think I can get away with now. Well, I have enough confidence in my writing that now that I've been doing it for decades, that I feel like I can do it. I don't recommend it to everybody, but I do recommend everybody trying to do review. Or I think it's just it helps you figure out your own how you think about stuff too. So yeah, it's, good, it's a good thing, and I think it just gives you some cred too. It gives you you know, you become more of a writer, I think, when you start to think about other buddies or other people's writings and write about it. So, but the Kelsey yeah. ones were good. They just came out and I wanted to really respond to them. I wanted to, he was just a hero, so I wanted to support him. But I, I try and find more independent stuff too to review, although I haven't in a while. So, I guess I just and, did a couple um, of reviews. Right on. Yeah, I was just going to ask, um, on writing, that's, uh, it's a book that's like, uh, epistolary in its in its structure and it's yeah Bukowski. so it takes the the, the editor the editor went through and the Bukowski's like letters to people are are kept in various places and he went through and found all the ones from throughout his whole career writing career the, the ones that only concern um writing uh and i think it's interesting to read because uh he writes talks about other writers but he also talks about his relationship with his editor and how mm. um sometimes his editor was not and to my mind, making the best decisions for what was good for Charles Bukowski. And or there's this controversy about um, his editor, um, John Martin, perhaps changing some of the wording, especially in the posthumous work. Um, okay. And, and there seems to be evidence of that even when Bukowski was alive. I don't know. I mean, this is just kind of more of an opinion than fact, but it does seem like there's parts. It's interesting to see like a writer writing a letter to his editor and kind of criticizing him and, and taking him to task for, like, changing some wording and stuff. Mm. And, and I think writers need to know that that happens. That could happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, interesting to think about. You want you, think, you like to think you want to be best friends with the editor, but it might come up that they might want to do stuff you might not agree with. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure that's why a lot of people uh, have turned to the self-publishing, you know, in addition to the uh, just, well, you know, I don't know. I might disagree with that. Like, I think they turned to the self-publishing before they even get, like, they can't even get an editor. I think that's the point. But okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think good editors will probably try and develop a good relationship, and they won't push people. Like, I, you know, like the two editors I have, Jason and Alex, right now, just on a small, we're all on a smaller level, but they give good constructive feedback, like, and sometimes it's about ideas or something that's not clear where I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. I'm glad – I'm like I'm grateful that they pointed that stuff out so I don't look like an idiot. That, yeah. That's what I think an editor should should do at least. So, um, you know, who's to you know? I'd, I'd like to find out what it's like to have an editor for a novel or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, well, um, on that note, uh, yeah, well – We'll uh, let you go. I appreciate you coming on okay. everybody's stories. Um, no, this is fun. It was, it was good. It's like doing a review. It's kind of like good to kind of talk about my writing and to help me think about it. And this is uh, good, good question. Good, good combo. Oh, Thanks for listening to the second episode of Everybody's Stories. My thanks to John Yohe. Do yourself a favor and go to J-O-H-N-Y-O-H-E dot com, JohnYohe.com, and grab a few of his morsels by the horn and uh, 
Got all sorts of poems and reviews for you to check out there. Sorry to everyone if the sound wasn't up to snuff. This is a baby podcast, second episode, and uh, trying things out. But the next guest that comes on, and if Yohi gives us the honor again to come back on, we're going to have some crystal clear sound. That's all. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to... We hope you catch the next episode, and by we, I mean me, the host, H.W. Honeycutt. Goodbye.